0: Welcome to TBI Talks Tech. I'm Eric Hills, training manager with TBI. And along with me
1: is Dave Polakowski, operations trainer here at TBI. And once again, we have a very special guest. Today, we have the senior director of technology services for LaSalle Network. It's Paul Wallenberg. Paul, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: Paul, excellent to see you again. Uh, for those of you out there who don't know, I worked at LaSalle Network for a very short period of time, and I think a lot of us here in the Chicagoland area are very familiar with LaSalle Network. Mm-hmm. We see Tom in the news. I know you guys are, are very active in a lot of different communities. But for anyone out there who doesn't know LaSalle, uh, just break it down for us. Who are you guys, and why should our audience uh, care? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, LaSalle Network is a staffing recruiting and
2: culture company uh, located here in Chicago, um, although we are a national firm as well. Um, so we, you know Chicago's our home, it's our backyard, but we do recruitment and, and sourcing strategies uh, across the country for, for clients all over the place. We have 250 employees working on specialized recruitment services across 11 lines of business. We're also industry agnostic and help our clients find talent at all levels of their business. We're also nationally recognized as a best place to work by publications both in and out of the staffing industry.
0: Very cool. And- and you're, you're specific to the technology practice, right?
2: Yeah. So I'm the senior director for for anything technology recruiting based. So I'm on the, the talent delivery side. We do contract,
0: contract to hire, as well as direct
2: hire recruiting services for IT clients.
0: I know Paul speaks the DevOps language. He knows our senior director of AI, BI. Mm-hmm. So anyone out there with projects, you're looking for talents, whether you're here in Chicago or nationally, Paul's a great resource. So we'll make sure that you know, his coordinates are available to all of our listeners too. Thank you.
1: Absolutely. So, Paul, let's let's jump into this a little bit. So, Eric, I I think you'll agree. I feel like we talk about the pandemic every episode since the pandemic started, but it is kind of life. impacts everything. Yeah, kind of changed everyone's life forever. So I mean, it is kind of something (laughs) a little bit relevant. But uh, so Paul, you know, given the pandemic, obviously, you know, forced everyone to kind of rethink how they're working and where they're working as well. So I guess, can you give us a little insight as to like, kind of what kind of changes did the pandemic, you know, kind of create internally at LaSalle Network and and kind of what transformation initiatives you saw uh, clients undertake as well?
2: Yeah, so we flipped to fully remote and, and virtual I think it was whatever that Friday was in March, right? March 17th or March 13th. And, um, you know, so everybody went completely work from home. We, you know, we had the same supply chain issues that every company had with trying to get laptops in people's hands because we prior to that, we didn't have the type of setup where every single employee has Mm -hmm. has a laptop. We do now but, you know, it was a mad dash to get everybody, uh, set up, uh, so that they could work from home effectively. And we did it, you know, very quickly and, and, you know, kudos to our IT department, they crushed it, you know, and if we couldn't get the, the type of, you know, Dell or, um, Lenovo setup that, that most people needed, they got Chromebooks. And so everybody had the, the, you know, tools that they needed pretty much overnight to make it happen, you know, and over the course of, you know, gosh, now it's over two years, right. Um, that we've been doing this, we've, you know, we've had periods where nobody was in the office. We've had periods where a handful of people are in the office and we've had periods um, like now where people are in the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday each week. So we've had a, an evolutionary approach to the return to office and our HR team really locked in with, you know, the latest uh, recommendations and the latest guidance from whether it's healthcare organizations or other company, leading companies and, and thought leaders in the industry about, you know, the best approach. You know, I think, where we've landed is is really successful for for the the business that we have but um you know to go fully remote in an industry where you're typically meeting with people in right. person. <laughs> it yeah. Was, was a, little, a pretty, rough, little rough, yeah. yeah. It, well, rough and just kind, you know, very revolutionary and, and, and sure. you know, a, a disruptive. Uh, uh, required a lot of disruptive thinking, right? And in mm-hmm. reaction to to what was what was doing, right? And really accelerated the curve for I think all staffing and recruiting businesses to really adopt, you know, Zoom interviews and Teams interviews, and sometimes I'm on Teams, Zoom, and WebEx all in one day, right? So. Right. Oh, sure. You know, there's all these different tools that that we get to use and they'd existed prior to the pandemic. But the pandemic really helped facilitate them as, I think, industry standards or or embed them as industry standards now, which which is helpful. It makes things quicker. It makes us efficient, I think. I I still believe that you're not, you know, you're not going to build the same kind of relationships with candidates or clients uh, unless you meet with them in person. There's a little bit of an element that the Zoom and team stuff is kind of a crutch. But that, So that's how we adapted in, internally, right? Like we, we had the, the infrastructure from a technology perspective in place. We didn't have to like, you know, buy new licenses or build servers or anything like that to make it all happen. We had, we had already been in the cloud and from a business continuity perspective, we're set up for, you know, something like this of this magnitude. On the, on the client side, to your second question, we did see a lot of companies that, that weren't at that, that uh, level of, of maturity, right? And there's some horror stories out there of, you know, companies trying to ration Citrix licenses and build, you know, some new VPN tunnels overnight, right? And all sorts of capacity planning issues that really, really affected their their day-to-day business operations. And so, uh, you know, a lot of the times, in addition to trying to overnight and and purchase licenses or purchase new hardware, a lot of times, you know, our clients were, you know, throwing bodies at it, right? Like, how can we get, you know, more IT resources in the mix to help with the configuration, the imaging and the shipping and like all of the stuff that needed to go into getting people their equipment in a safe and healthy way, right? So people didn't have to all rush into the office to, to get things if they were going fully remote. And so for the most part, our, our clients followed suit, right? Uh, there, there's obviously, you know, a couple exceptions of, of industries that were deemed to be, uh, you know, uh, critical, right? And, and so they stayed open. And there's certainly employees at those companies who can't do their jobs remotely, right? And so they had to adapt a little bit differently. But for the most part, our clients right out of the gate, virtual, you know, and then building the infrastructure as they go to support it and maintain mm-hmm.
0: it. And I, I agree with you, Paul, that like the relationship aspect, especially in in our industries, is never going to be replicated on Zoom. Yeah. You know, you, you got to be in front of people. And I think we've taken largely the same approach. We have a team day and then a core day where we're in the office each week. We've started to get back out. Like I was in Nashville early in May for a security boot camp to see a lot of partners that we hadn't seen in some time. So it's it's really exciting. But I think... The need for people to work remotely is what kind of accelerated all of that, right? And, and now it's like a lot of those investments aren't going to go away. You know, it's something yeah. like uh, Gartner said in 2021 58% of IT leaders are increasing or planning to increase investments in emerging tech compared to 29%. In 2020, so yeah, we're getting back in in office, but you know the ability and capability to work remotely and you know all these these cloud investments and security investments they're here to stay. So that's really exciting for our channel partners uh, who are out there designing technology solutions. It means means there's a lot of opportunity. But what kind of challenge does that pose for your clients when it comes to the need to to keep and retain their own qualified staff?
2: Yeah, I think you know one of the things that I don't I don't really see it talked about that frequently. And if it is, maybe I'm just not looking into those circles, right? But I I really think that the pandemic helped shape shape customer experience. And when I say customer experience, I mean the IT customer experience for internal employees, right? And so most people Mm -hmm. think in terms of user experience, right? But like IT's customers are the employees who interact with the technology that an organization has, right? And so- a lot of the digital transformation, right, to borrow a uh, a buzz phrase uh, that had been taking place, you know, in addition to remote work being accelerated, I think digital transformation, you know, making sure that formerly static assets had some sort of digital approach, right, was was really, if, if you weren't thinking that way as a business, right, like the pandemic forced you to think that way as a business, mm. and it, it really put the initiative on IT, right, to move the needle on those things. And I think, you know, we're going to see the aftermath of new strategies to customer experience, new approaches to customer experience for years, if not a a half decade to a full decade after post-pandemic, right? You know, and we have, you know, several clients that, um, you know, are in the real estate business, right, whether it's commercial or co-working or what have you. Or, you know, property management, right? Like there's a number of different, uh, you know, businesses that they have as part of their, their real estate operations. You know, the innovation that they've done to engage customers is unbelievable, right? Like biometric technology for access, right? Identity management on different mm-hmm. um, assets that, you know, are either owned or at least operated by the the companies themselves. It's really interesting stuff, you know, especially too, when you talk about like resources inside of a building and HVAC systems and lighting, right? And like all of these things can now tie in digitally so that customers have them at their fingertips. And, you know, I think it's all in, in the spirit of like making the most efficient use of the spaces that people will continue to occupy, right? Um, but it, it really, I think, was forced by the pandemic. In And, and it's, it's definitely a direction that I don't see a ton of you know, like literature out there on or, or research papers on, but customer experience, I think, is the thing that coming out of this, IT departments need to be paying the closest attention to.
0: Yeah, I, I think if you talk to like our communications cloud subject matter expert, she she would say the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you're talking about like CCAS software and the SMB taking advantage of some of these applications out there, whether it's CCAS or CPAS. Yeah. To give them like a bigger enterprise type feel and offer up some of those experiences that became so prevalent during the pandemic, like curbside delivery. It's like my God, I couldn't even yeah. imagine not being able to just go into the Target app and dupe, doop, doop doop. You know, and two or four hours later, I just drive away with all my stuff. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. It's, I got a kid. Uh, I don't want to take. I don't want to take her in the store. It's new toy, new toy. Yeah. The more I can just get it unloaded in my trunk, the better. <laughs> better I out of sight, out of mind,
1: man. Can't let him see yeah. those toys, dude. <laughs>
2: Yeah. It's all feeding that everybody wants it right now. Right. You know, just that whole mindset of like Amazon. Right. Like I ordered it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Dave. Yeah. Instant gratification. Right. Um, The pandemic, I think, you know, reinforced that that is here to stay. Right. Like we're never we're never going back to, uh, you know, the ways where, you know, you'd wait two days to get something. Right. So I.T. departments, how it relates, I think, to, you know, the topic at hand here is Everybody needs to be thinking availability, uptime, reliability, scalability and white glove treatment, right? Like that combination of concepts is is what technology departments and technology organizations need to be focused on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Paul, uh, one thing I want to talk about um and I guess uh you know, we we hear this term the great resignation. Um I feel like, you know, every time I go on LinkedIn, someone's um, you know moving to a different company or, or doing something else and that's kind of across the board but uh, I think especially in tech um, sometimes it feels kind of like uh, you know um, the trade deadline in like sports where you're like there's all these trades in one day and then you're like I don't even know what teams guys are on anymore um, so yeah. there's a lot of moving pieces going around I guess is what I'm saying so specifically how has this um, great resignation impacted specifically like the technology job landscape
2: What's interesting, if, you know, if we had done this podcast like three or four months ago, my, my response to this would have been different, right? So that's how quickly the market is changing, right? We're almost in like a post-Great Resignation stage now. Um, and what I mean by that is we're at the reaction to the Great Resignation, which is if you go through your LinkedIn feed, now you're going to read about all the people who regret the moves that they made. Right. Because they've been in their role for nine months or a year and things weren't necessarily it's not exactly the role that was sold to them in the interview process. Right. Like so many people a year ago or nine months ago were capitalizing on this idea of the great resignation. And now there's a shift of people who are like, man, like, I don't know if I I, I don't know if this move was the right move. Right. Like, sure, I got a great base salary. Sure. I got some perks and some, you know, I'll I'll never have to go into an office ever again. You know, that kind of stuff. But um. You know, there's there's a lot of uh, research out there right now and people reporting on the fact that, you know, some of the moves weren't what they were cracked up to be. Right. And so, you know, to a certain extent, if if you're looking to capitalize on the great resignation right now, you, you kind of missed the mark. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. you're a little bit late to the, the <laughs> dance, so to speak. But what you might capitalize on right now and I'm sure Eric and Dave, you've seen this, right? You know, there's, there's a lot going on in the public markets, right? From a, from a valuation perspective and, you know, stock price perspective, market capitalization perspective. Um, There is a, a chain uh, reaction in the venture capital space too, right? Like it's becoming harder to raise money at the valuations that were being seen during the pandemic, right? Especially in businesses that were boosted by the pandemic, right? Rather, it's something that, you know, enables, remote um, communication or collaboration or what have you, right? Some of those industries are getting kind of hit. And so now you can capitalize if you're a a business that is, you know, I don't ever want to say any businesses are recession proof, but there are certainly industries that are a bit more stable during recession times than then not, right? And so, um if you're one of those businesses right now is a great time to be on the market looking for talent because you could get some of those folks that are kind of sick of the way the startup life has turned out, right? Or the way that, you know, big tech fang, you know, type uh organizations manage through recessions and manage through dec- economic downturns. The PR backlash that those companies face is pretty dramatic, right? If you go through Twitter, Reddit, or LinkedIn right now, right? And so, you know, right now, you might not be capitalizing on the great resignation, but you will capitalize on, you know, like sort of a flight to safety, right? Like people leaving less stable, either venture backed or series A, series B, pre IPO companies for businesses where there is a more traditional and stable business model.
0: Yeah, I think that jives with Probably what TBI has, has seen, you know, in the sense that there's a lot of MA in our industry. And when you're talking about technology services distributors, uh, generally speaking, you know, I can count probably three or four in the last year, big ones, you know, yeah. competitors uh, that have been acquired, you know, and they've taken on venture capital, which sometimes doesn't always bode so well, you know, for the partner. Community, because then they've got shareholders and investors to answer to, and what's in the shareholders' interest isn't always necessarily in the in the interest of the technology partner. So the technology partners out there, as far as separating themselves, what I'm hearing from you, making themselves appear stable. You know, they a lot of them are, are yeah. stable. I'm not saying they're not. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that that recurring revenue model uh, for our industry is is a selling point. You know, for some of the technology talent's coming over from, you know, Silicon Valley.
2: Well, here's what's interesting too and and maybe a, a different perspective on it Eric is, I, you know, I consider channel businesses a traditional business model, right? Like at this point it's been around for decades, yeah. right? And even if it's tech as a channel, that's still something that's existed for a while, right? Like there's there's recurring revenue, right? You're not pre-revenue obviously, right? And so there's there's a lot more and there's always an innovation curve, right? Like you guys are you know, looking at things that are, whether it's three months or three years out, right? To eventually incorporate into your stack, right? And your service offerings, mm-hmm. right? Like there's kind of a traditional business and like maybe R and D and like an innovation side, right? Where like the traditional business supports that, right? You're not just all that, right? So you have this like very distributed, um, stable structure. And I think this goes for, for most, you know, companies in the channel space so even in context of being like a high-tech company i think it's still a more stable and traditional business model than you'd see at some of these you know series b series a pre-ipo type places
0: sure where you know they're they're not necessarily profitable yet uh right. in in that context
2: still trying to figure out product market fit still working on an MVP right like you know like there's a lot of things that they're worried about that a place like TBI or or a competitor or an adjacent company don't have to worry about you've figured out sure. product market fit now it's about maintaining that revenue and driving new business you know an M&A activity in your world is probably ripe for stealing market share i would guess Mm. right like if one of your competitors acquires another competitor there's an opportunity for you all to acquire that business
0: that's right yeah well yeah acquire the opportunity for them to do business with us you know rather than us buying them tbi is never going to be out there buying any of our yeah sorry i didn't mean acquire i know i know what you meant obtain
2: the business you know chase down the the new leads right because there's a changing of the guard at the old places right
0: Hundred percent, hundred percent accurate. Yeah, and you know, obviously, you're really familiar with the industry, with like our, our partner profile. Right? What are what are some other tools, strategies, suggestions you would have for our partner community as far as ensuring they're an attractive place for talent to want to yeah. come and park? You know, so kind of piggybacking off of what I piggybacking off of what I just said
2: about you know looking further out, right, from an innovation perspective. I think there's a tendency for leadership in the tech space to think they always got to go find the people that have the tried and true, been there, done that experience. And now more than ever is a time to invest in your people, right? Reskill them, send them to a training, right? If you're making a pivot from, you know, a a traditional telephony company to, you know, a, a company that does broader network engineering services and, you know, looking at like S D WAN and and different types of uh approaches to you know structuring a network, right? Send your people to the classes that can train them on that, right? Like don't don't always think like I've got to go get these senior engineers and these architects that can train the people internally or can take on the workload. I think um, you know, most people most companies are worried right now about average tenure, right? Like, you know, that Bay Area, one and a half to two years. Becoming more of the uh, the the norm, you know, even in the Midwest or or other you know flyover states, right? And I think you can we can kind of push back on that if we start leaning a bit more into reskilling or upskilling existing staff. Um, now, you know, there's a devil's advocate to every argument that you make for that, right? What if they leave you? What if um, what if they're not? Grasping the technology and it's a waste of investment, right? So there's some due diligence that needs to go into it. You got to make sure you're sending the right people, right, to the training, right? And understanding what their ceiling is from a learning and development perspective. The other thing with people leaving, like, you got to look at your coaching tree too, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's a good thing sometimes when people leave and go to other companies, especially if there's a chance that they might. Be a, a way for you to earn business in the future, right? Like people leave, um, you know, whether it's integration partners or implementation partners or, or any sort of consulting or managed service and, and go into the, the corporate or private sector, you know, that's an opportunity for the, the 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 partner to continue to grow their reputation and to grow their brand, right? As, as a, a premier place. And so sometimes you've got to market that too in the reverse, right? Like where have our best people gone, right? Like that's something that's important, right, and, and something that can speak, especially if there's, you know, publicly traded or unicorn-style companies out there where, where, you know, top talent from your company or other companies have landed. So finding ways to to retain people using that type of messaging. In technology, you've got to compete with flexibility, right? Like, I, you know, elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about, especially in light of Elon Musk's email to the rest of Tesla <laughs> last week, right? Like... You know, yeah, you got to give people flexibility, right? Yeah. And whether it's whether it's um, two days or three days remote, you know, I think that's kind of the, the perfect configuration right now. I, I tend to be in the school of thought that thinks more ambiguity is detrimental. Right. Like I think the, you know, pick which days you come in is a great way of giving people the illusion that they have flexibility without really a strategy for collaboration behind it. And so, you know, like ours, our model with the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, like we know, right, like we're going to be able to work in person on certain projects. We know that there's going to be those you know, I'm on my way to the kitchen to eat lunch. You're on your way to your desk, just finishing lunch. We have a quick conversation about something's going, you know, like we know that those are going to happen Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. If we said everybody has to work two to three days, pick, pick the days. There's no guarantee that that happens, right? It gives people the illusion that they have the autonomy and the flexibility to control their week. But at the same time, it doesn't really give you the, the strategy behind it that I think we're all talking about when we say that in-person work is important, right? So You know, that's something that I I recommend for all clients is like if you if flexibility is part of your strategy, make sure that the strategy behind the flexibility makes sense for your business as well. Right. Like Mm -hmm. people shouldn't just show up to be alone, right? Like if they're gonna show up, they should be there to interact with people that they need to interact with.
0: Yeah, I think, I think those are all really good points. I especially like your advice around upskilling and training current employees. I mean, I think a lot of times training is one of the first things that everybody says, yeah, yeah, we want training, but then it's the end of the month and we're worried about quota. Well, training is the first thing to also get kicked to the curb. Point being channel, especially is community. You know, you have whether it's a supplier or a TBI to lean on to help plan and execute that training for your sales staff. Yeah. Yeah, training is a yeah, big ab- big part yeah, of it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And obviously, you know, with Eric and I, um, you know, being part of the training department, we will obviously back more training. Training is definitely good and we uh we appreciate you to promote that, uh that sentiment as well. So, uh, everyone at TBI out there, my, uh, my work is valuable and make sure you do all my trainings and I'll make more <laughs> for you. So that's, I, think that's, I think that's what Paul was getting to. You didn't outright come and say it, but I, 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 I can read between the lines. <laughs> so, uh, well, Paul, thanks for joining us. Uh, this has been really informative. Um, actually really important stuff for our partners to kind of know, and we really appreciate you joining us. We hope that you can come back on at some point and, For Eric Hills, I am Dave Polakowski. This has been TBI Talks Tech.